As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 241. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership, the show where we focus on that topic of leadership. Why? Because it impacts every aspect of our life. All of us are going to be called to leadership at some time, so that's what this show is about. We bring on guests on the show. We talk about leadership. We give practical advice on how to become a better leader because it's not about the position. It's not about the title. It's about adding value to everyone and everything. And so hopefully this show is one of the many resources that you're using along in your leadership journey. And now I'm excited to bring something new from Dose of Leadership. I finally have everything aligned and all the uh, uh, resources and the content that I've wanted available to finally have a monthly membership site for Dose of Leadership, an economical $37 a month investment where you can surround yourself with other like-minded leaders like yourself in a closed forum where daily we interact and help each other out with our leadership challenges. And also you get live leadership training with me. So you'll connect with me live and I'll do a monthly leadership training around the areas about what is it like to lead from the middle. Not only is I going to teach you how to lead the people we're accountable for, but how do we lead with our peers? How do we navigate the politics? And most importantly, how do we lead upwards? You know, one of the biggest challenges of leadership, especially when you're in the middle, is how do you lead upwards, particularly if the person you're reporting to doesn't understand leadership as well as you do, right? And it's a common problem. So I'm going to tackle that in my monthly live leadership training sessions. And don't worry if you can't make it live, it's recorded there for you to watch whenever uh, you feel fit and what meets your schedule. But in addition to those monthly training sessions, I'm also giving you access to my online leadership course, Legacy Leader Blueprint, which right now stands at 20 videos. And I'll be adding to those uh, as we go on. But those videos are there for your uh, viewing and it teaches you the basics of leadership, but also how to lead yourself, lead others, and most importantly, transformational leadership topics on how leaders train other leaders. And another special bonus, or I'm excited to bring too, is if you join this community every so often, at least six times out of the year, I'm going to bring a special guest on and access with you, me, and the guest that's been on this show, and we will interact with them live with a Q&A session and talk to them about leadership as well. So it's a great opportunity. I've amassed over the past three years great relationships and connections with a lot of top th thought leaders 
in this space. And many of them have agreed to come on the show and interact with me and you in a live Q&A session, which we will record and play on future Dose of Leadership episodes. All right, so check out more. Go to my website, doseofleadership.com. Click on the membership tab and uh, you can learn more about it and sign up there. Okay, today's guest, Michael Port, I've been a fan of for a very long time. Uh, Entrepreneurially, he's helped me uh, with his book, Book Yourself Solid. Um, But he's written six books, including Book Yourself Solid, which has been a tremendous help for me. But his new book, which we talk about a lot on this this show, is called Steal the Show. And uh, the president of Starbucks considers this book, Steal the Show, the most unique and practical book ever written on the topic of public speaking, which for us as leaders, it's important we understand how to present ourselves, right? We can all learn how to become better public speakers. Michael Port, uh, I love his style. He's been called an uncommonly honest author a marketing guru, a sales guru, a public uh, speaking phenom. And he's probably the best speaking coach in the world. And again, I love his stuff and it's helped with my uh, speaking business as well. His books have been on the bestseller list of New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today. And he once was a professional actor. And it's we talk about that quite a bit in this show and how it can help that the techniques of acting can actually help you and your leadership abilities in an authentic way. A lot of times when we think of acting, we think of it as being phony or fake. But um, as we talk about in this episode, it's about bringing authenticity to the forefront. And so uh, he's a great guest. It was an honor to have him on. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, Michael Port on Dose of Leadership. Well, Michael, what an honor and thrill to have you on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. Thank you so much. You know, this has uh, been a long time coming. I'm excited to get you on the show. I was telling you in the pre-recording that I have followed your stuff for a couple of years. It has helped tremendously in my business as a professional speaker, as a leadership coach. Um, you're one of my favorites. And so thank you for all your work that you do, first and foremost. Oh, my gosh. You're welcome. That means the world to me. How did it all start for you? Where did you know you were started as an actor? But how did you how did you get to where you're at today? Yes, I started as an actor because I didn't like doing anything else in school. (laughs) So I thought acting classes, that would be fun. And then I really fell in love with it. I fell in love with it because I learned so much about people. I learned so much about the way the world worked. And and I, I hadn't found that anywhere else in my life in that same way. So I went to graduate school and I got a master's at the graduate acting program at NYU. And then I worked professionally and uh, I was in a number of TV shows, uh, I think you mentioned in the bio. And so I had a modicum of success and film and voiceovers was really my bread and butter. I did a lot of voiceovers, companies like MTV and Braun, uh, Pizza Hut, uh, Coors Beer, and a lot of the brands, by the way, are they sponsoring your show? Because I think no. they should, now that we just mentioned <laughs> They're them. They're good. Yeah, that's awesome. I'll, yeah, I'll. they should. Uh, and, you know, but the thing is, is that after about four or five years, I started to get really frustrated because I wanted more mm. faster. Right. And I've never been accused of having any patience whatsoever. So I wanted to, I wanted to be really, I wanted to be, you know, at the status of Tom Cruise then. And I said, well, if I'm not going to be working that much, I'm going to go do something else where I can go and make something of myself, make money and do all that. And I was immature. I wasn't willing to wait. And it's one of my big regrets. I love what I do now. I'm not going back to acting. Right. 
But it's a regret because I quit prematurely. Mm. Of course, if we learn from our mistakes, then we don't repeat them again. So it's actually been one of the most important lessons of my life. And one of the things that I discovered over the years after reflecting upon that choice was that I was often looking for approval rather than results. Ah, yeah. I get that. Mm -hmm. So when I would go in for an audition, I would think, what does the casting director want? You know, what's the director looking for? What does the producer want? And what they wanted was for me to come in and make the big choices. Not to look to them to make the choices. And that, if I had recognized that, and I think it would have taken a little bit more maturity at that age, if I had recognized that at the time, I may not have left. But now, if I go in for a meeting, you know, for to pitch one of my books, you know, I've written six books now, I don't go in there and go, well, what is... What is St. Martin's Press looking for? What is that? I go in there and say, listen, this is what I want to do. And here's why. And they may have some suggestions. They may say, well, you know, I'm not sure that that is going to resonate with, and then we'll talk about it. Or they'll have an idea. What if you did this? I go, oh my God, that's brilliant. Let's do it. So we, we don't cut off suggestions from the outside world. In fact, I think that together we can do a lot more than we can alone. Certainly, I know together with my staff, with my agent, uh, with my publicist, with my clients, I know with I can do so much more with all of these people than I can do alone. Right. And, and when I left acting, I talked my way into a job for which I was completely unqualified. Which was? A middle management position in the fitness industry. <laughs> I was, I was, I was uh, uh, applying for the group exercise manager at one fancy health club in New York city. And all I knew about it was teaching one spinning class a week. I just did that because I was a bike racer. And then in the winter I wanted to train. So I'd get a free membership if I was the teacher. Right. But it seemed interesting to me. I loved that uh, environment. I loved uh, health and fitness and I just needed a job and also thought, well, this would be a good one because I think the hour hours will be kind of flexible. And maybe I'll continue with my voiceovers. Right. Uh, that's all I was thinking at the time. Right, right. But I talked my way into this job. I told him, listen, I'm completely unqualified for this. I don't have any of the qualifications that you think you need for this position. But I've done my research. And here's why I think you should consider me. I think you should be looking for somebody with this profile rather than these kinds of certifications. I made my case and I seemed to make it well because they gave me the position. And three months later, I had two clubs. Three months after that, I was running the whole division for the company. Mm. It was a public company. And it really showed me something. It showed me that performance is in all aspects of life. Mm -hmm. It's not just something you do on stage. And in fact, the best performers aren't different on stage than they are in real life. Right. They're always authentic across the spectrum. You know, actors will play different characters. So, of course, they're different in that way. You know, if you're playing a, 
you know, a mafioso in a movie and you're not a mafioso, you're an actor, obviously you're playing a different character. Right. But the authenticity is, is equal across those platforms. Now, for those of us that are not actors, we have situations where we're called to perform all the time. So a job interview is a performance. Mm-hmm. A, a negotiation is a performance. Mm-hmm. A sales pitch is a performance. Even beating your future in-laws for the first time is a performance. Mm-hmm. Why? Because there's an element in those environments that's manufactured. And to me, good performance is not about manufactured behavior. Good performance is about authentic behavior in a manufactured environment. Yeah, that's a great insight. I love that you said that. You know, I was watching an interview yesterday with uh, uh, William H. Macy. You know the actor? Oh, I, I was at his wedding. Yeah, yeah. I, know, I know Bill well, yeah. And he was on uh, uh, Sam Foreman's got a great show, interview show. Um, why am I off the record, I think, or mm-hmm. or on the couch or something like uh-huh. that, off uh-huh. the couch. And uh, forgive me, Sam, if I've messed up the title, but great interview show. And he, William H. Macy was talking about that specific thing, about what he finally started getting it as an actor, and it took him a while, was – and I'm paraphrasing, but there are two things there. It's like it's this – it's one thing about – what the character's doing. And I think he thought initially it was all about, I'm going to try to get into this character. He says, that's part of it, but it's about myself portraying myself authentically as the character. Does that make that's sense? Right. Yeah, of course it does. Yeah. So Bill is a wonderful actor. Uh, I met Bill through his wife uh, early in my career and she became a good friend, Felicity Huffman. She's a very well-known actress in her own right. And and I was at their wedding in Aspen. Gosh, this must have been 20 years ago mm-hmm. now. And they are some of the most lovely people in the world. And they come from the Atlantic Theater Company in New York. And David Mamet is one of the founders. He's a very influential figure in their life. They're very close friends. And David is not a big fan of, of, of self-absorbed acting. Right what I would call masturbatory acting. <laughs> right. Where, you know, it's all about you as the actor. Let me show you my emotions. Let me show you how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Doesn't connect to the audience that well. What Mamet teaches, and this was very influential to me as well, and this is relevant to the listeners because it's something that is is part of our everyday life, is that the actor pursues an objective. And or the character really, the character has an objective. The character wants to do something, make something happen, get something. And then the, and then the actor identifies that objective mm-hmm. and then chooses different tactics they're going to use right. to try to get it. Right. And a good writer will put obstacles in their way. And that's what's compelling to watch, to mm-hmm. watch that character try to overcome those obstacles. Right. And then emotions produce naturally as a result of the conflict that is inherent in the script. Right. And so in life, we are pursuing objectives and we try lots of different tactics to achieve those objectives. And we can't force outcomes. We have to live in the moment authentically and figure out different ways to get what we want, is to make what we want to happen, happen. Right. 
Yeah, and you can't. And so that's you know, and that's why that's why I wrote Steal the Show because the actor knows so much about performing and playing the right role in the right situation that 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 knowledge and those skills are transferable to the rest of us. And I now say the rest of us because I'm not acting professionally anymore. Those skills are transferable to the rest of us for all of these high stakes situations. Because when you're in a job interview, you might be nervous. Mm -hmm. Your body is, is uncomfortable. You've got extra unnecessary energy. You, you might be breathing shallowly. Your mind might be all over the place. Well, how do you bring that back? Mm -hmm. Well, that's acting technique, right? That's performing. You are trying to create a particular presence, a particular identity. Hopefully it's authentic, but the true identity that you want to show, not the nervous one uh, that doesn't really allow you to shine. And you have an objective. So, you know, so I, I really am I'm trying to with steal the show. I'm trying to encourage people to embrace this idea of performance, that it is a natural thing to do. We do it all the time. Shakespeare said all the world's a stage. And if we understand how to be better performers, then we can improve the quality of our life because life is made up of lots of high stakes situations and how we perform during those high stakes situations determines the quality of our life. Yeah. I love this. I love this concept. You know, we, and um, we talked about this. In fact, I was at a presentation last week and we were talking about this idea of command presence. And when the CEOs asked me about, well, you know, you, cause I had talked about earlier in the presentation that the currency that you need to be um, a legacy leader, one with a lasting impact, I said, you, the, really the currency you need is authenticity and transparency and the question was posed, and then he goes, yeah, but you're talking about authenticity and vulnerability and transparency. I can't let you know exactly everything that I'm feeling all the time. I said, yeah, there's a little bit of acting involved. And I equated it to when I'm flying an airplane. You know, I'm a professional pilot. If I have an engine firelight that comes on and you're flying next to me, you're sitting in the seat next to me, if I react on how I feel, mm-hmm. you will be panicked. Yeah, that's right. And so that you have to tap into the performance of this calm, cool, collected pilot, mm-hmm. right? To get this on the ground. Yep. And the guy says, well, that's not being authentic. I'm going to no, no, no. I said, <laughs> I am being authentic because that is my authentic self in that calm state, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's kind of what you're getting at, right? Yeah, I am. And what's interesting is that you are, you are producing that state of being because your objective is to calm the other people around you and achieve the desired result, which is not crashing the plane. (laughs) Right. And if you start freaking out, you can't, you can't control yourself. Right. And you don't think well. So you need to go into a different state of being, but that state of being is produced by your objective, what you're trying to accomplish. And if, if you're, desire to produce that result is so strong that you're willing to change your way of being, then you'll be effective. Right. But if your desire to produce the result is not that strong or you can't get 
control of yourself, if you don't have the skill to adjust your way of being, your style of behavior, uh, then you'll freak out. Now, where does that skill come from? It comes in part from being prepared. Yeah. As a pilot, you've logged hundreds of thousands of hours, maybe, maybe I don't know, maybe more than tens of thousands. I have no idea, but six, you've probably six logged. 6,000, yeah. For my how, many, how many hours have you logged? Over 6,000, yeah. 6,000 hours. So 6,000 hours produces a level of mastery. Right. And because you're prepared, you don't need to think quite as much. You know what the first thing, what's the first thing you're supposed to do if an engine catches on fire? First thing catches on fire is, is slow things. What we teach ourselves is slow things down. Don't, don't react to the first thing. So, okay. So there's your first thing. So you know that. So you don't have to think about that. You're not like, oh shit, what am I supposed to do first? Right. You go, okay, nope, slow down. Boom. Automatically. That's the first thing instinctively that occurs, not because you made it up, but because you've been trained. And that's why I really encourage more preparation for people who present. There's a very extensive, very comprehensive chapter in Steal the Show on rehearsal technique Mm -hmm. and a protocol for rehearsal because most people wouldn't know how to rehearse. I mean, where would they learn it? I only learned it because I have a master's uh, in the, with, with, you know, I have a term. I have the terminal degree in acting. That's where you learn those things. Right. So, only academia would would call the highest degree in a particular discipline a terminal degree. <laughs> That's and, funny. And and so this is this is a this is what makes all the difference is that preparation. You don't have to think about what happens mm-hmm. next. It's instinctive. Now, your brain then is able to think and process the whole situation. Because the things that you need to do automatically are occurring. They're happening. Right. And it gives you a lot of power. And that's why you're able to perform. But if you're not prepared, and let's let's take it back to the stage. You know, if you're not prepared, you don't know what's coming next. You have to think about what's coming next. You're not in the moment. If you if you don't know what's coming next, you might get more nervous. If you don't feel prepared, you're going to be very nervous before. And that just produces anxiety and anxiety produces a lot of problems when you're in a high stakes situation. And I'm not a pilot, but I'm a U.S. Coast Guard licensed hundred ton captain, boat captain. And when I started learning how to uh, pilot big boats, when I'd get myself into a jam, I'd make it worse. Right. Because I'd start overcorrecting. I start doing too much. Yeah. I try to force the boat uh, to do what I wanted to do, which then made more problems. And I don't know if a plane is like this, but a boat, boat doesn't have any brakes. Do you know, you, you, you can't just say, oh, I'm going to press on the brake pedal and it'll stop. The boat is always moving. Right. And if you, if you overcompensate, then the boat will move too much. So it doesn't actually help. But then as I got more experienced, when I'd get myself into trouble, I do less because I could stay more calm. That's the hours. It's the training. Yeah. So the same thing is true on the stage, but people feel like, well, you know, it's not life or death. You know, if you're flying a plane, most pilots will probably do the work they need to do to become competent pilots. I imagine there are some pilots that are much better than other pilots. I imagine you as a, as a trained fighter pilot have skills that 
uh, a pilot, you know, a, a, like an, um, an amateur Cessna pilot just does not have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Cessna pilot is probably going to spend a fair amount of time making sure that they know what to do so they don't die. Right. For, for the most part, I'm sure there's some foolish people out there. But and the same thing is true in a boat. You know, it's not quite as dangerous, but the sea is pretty tough. And if you get yourself into trouble out there, you could die pretty quickly. I think more people die drowning in boat accidents than they do um, dying in plane accidents. Oh, yeah, sure. So, you know, if most people don't take it very seriously because they don't feel like they're flying so high above the ground, they think, "Ah, I'll be fine. I just jump in the water or something. There's a problem, you know. Uh, And next thing you know, they crash uh, into a, a, you know, a, a, a beak, a buoy or something. And, you know, the boat gets split in half. They're sinking. They've got no life jackets on. They bang their head when they fell. And they're dead. Right. So I'm getting uh, on my soapbox about this. But uh, but this the point is, don't if you're in a boat, don't assume that the captain of the boat or any of the other boaters around you have any idea what they're doing. <laughs> Same with an airplane. I'll say that okay. too. <laughs> okay, so there you go. But the people who are very serious about it, yeah. They take it, they really do the work. For me, I am responsible for my crew, for the people on that boat, exactly. for my passengers yeah. and my crew. It's it's me. It's not anyone else. It's me. So with that said, if you, it, w- when you think about presentations, you might not think of it as life and death. So you don't put that much into it. And you figure, I'll figure it out in the moment. Yeah. And, and I don't know if, it, if they say this in the Air Force, but I know they say this in the Army. You don't rise to the occasion. You fall back on your training. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if if you put uh, an automatic rifle in my hands and you said, listen, I just want you to hold on to this. I may call you into a firefight in Afghanistan. Um, I'm not going to teach you how to, you know, to operate that thing or any any tactics whatsoever for any kind of combat. But I'm sure you'll figure it out you know, during the situation. Right. So I'm going to figure out how to use this weapon while bullets are flying at my head. Of course not. And, and, and the same thing is true when you get on stage, you're, you, you might be able to pass because you can wing it because nobody's shooting bullets at your head because you're not going to die. But if the situation is high stakes, if it, if it's a sale, that means you're going to make your year. If it's, a negotiation that's going to make your career. If it's a job interview, that's going to make your career and give you the opportunity to do what you want with your life. Well, then I think the situation, you know, is, is pretty darn important and the stakes are high. So I would put a fair amount of rehearsal into that. If the stakes aren't really high, if it's not that big a deal, you know, if someone said, listen, Michael, you know, I'm having a little dinner party for a bunch of people. And I'd like you to say a few words, you know, about X, Y, and Z, you know, I said, okay, great. I'll think about it for five, 10 minutes. And then I'll say a few words. Stakes aren't really high, but when the stakes are high, you know, rehearsal is key. What I love about you, what you're saying is, and you're right. And what comes to my mind is, you know, talent is a given. I mean, I think if even if you're giving a presentation or if you're flying a plane or charting a boat, it's it's a given that you have a certain level of expertise or professionalism. But in what you're, what I'm hearing you say is that the true professionals, if we're really going to take it to the next level, and 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 
even start looking at it, maybe that job interview is life or death and the stakes are high enough, we need to be better prepared. And I think sometimes what I love about this this book or what you're saying here is that it's not so much about the rote memorization or the, the repetition, which can certainly help. You're talking about something a little deeper here. I mean, I mean, how do we get to the self to the point where I'm so prepared that it becomes automatic, but then let's take it to another level and let's let's focus on connecting, let's focus on inspiring, mm-hmm. let's focus on taking people to an aspirational level. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, because That's it's right. a given if you're gonna be a professional speaker, if you're gonna kick ass in this job interview, it's a given that I mean you're expected to have a certain level of expertise. But what right. most of us fail to realize recognize is let's just take it up a little bit more, turn the knob up to eleven, and let's stop focusing on the repetition and the, the rote memorization. Let's learn how to connect and kind of adapt to the ever fluid environment that we're faced with. Is that does that That's sum it up? Yeah. So Sometimes people push back on the on the suggestion that they should rehearse more because they've tried some rehearsal in the past and they felt very stiff when they were performing. Right. And they 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 said, "Well, I'm much more natural when I wing it." Yeah. The reason that they felt stiff is because they did a little bit of rehearsal. And when they were performing, they were trying to recall what they did in rehearsal rather than being in the moment and having the ability to recall it without having to think about it. Right. So that they could also improvise. Right. So when you when you meet preparation with improvisation, then the audience sees authentic sponta- mm-hmm. spontaneity. But if you're, if you have so much, if, if the way you've done your preparation, excuse me, Hmm. let's try to combine preparation and memorization. Right. If you've, if you've done preparation in such a way that you are so beholden to what you prepared that you can't live in the moment, Mm -hmm. uh, then it will come across as stiff. If you don't prepare at all and you only improvise, you could come across as very messy it's the balance of those two things that makes the difference. For example, somebody just wrote a, an article uh, and the title was How Michael Port Saved My TEDx Talk, mm-hmm. which I think, of course, is the greatest title ever written <laughs> in the history of the world. Right. And I, I was asked to do a podcast and the host said, listen, I want to do something a little bit different. I want to bring on somebody who has a TEDx talk in, in 48 hours and I want you you know, to give him some advice, to help him out. I want to talk about what he's doing and and uh, and see, you know, if you, he can get some coaching. And I thought, well, that'll be fun. So we did that. And he went and gave his TED Talk. And he was killing it. it he said it was the best performance he'd ever given. He had worked so hard on it. He, he knew exactly what he was going to do. He was just 100% on. And then his mind went blank. Yeah. And he said... Honestly, at that moment, if you had asked me my name, I couldn't have told you. This is what he put in the article. He said, but then I remembered something Michael told me. He said, when you perform, don't try to force outcomes. Right. Stay in the moment. Connect with your audience. And 
et cetera, and, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, I heard Michael's voice at that moment and I just relaxed because what I told him is that when you stay in the moment, you can hear mm-hmm. when you freeze and start like running through your mind, like a, like a rat on a wheel, you don't hear what's going on around you. You can't observe. And as a result, you can't hear what you had just said. Yep. So you don't recall it. And what I, what I suggest is stay with the audience and the next right thing will come to you and you trust it. And he said, that moment turned out to be the best moment in the speech. I love that story. He said, I just took my time. I didn't freak out. I moved to a different part of the stage while looking at the audience. And I saw somebody in the audience. And it made me think of something. Yep. And that's what I said. And, and he did exactly what he needs to do. I will, I will blank when I'm giving a performance. I'll forget where I was. We do, you know, professionals do this too. I make, I fell off of a stage into the orchestra pit once I've knocked over lights. I, I accidentally called, uh, the company that I was speaking for the wrong name. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I mean, it was, I had done an interview for a different company that morning right? and then gave a speech that afternoon for this other company. And I got them confused. I mean, what, how, how, what could you do worse? <laughs> right. I mean, the only thing you could do worse was insult you know, the CEO in some way, you know, and you know, I had to cover, I had to recover. Mm -hmm. And if you stay stuck in the past and those mistakes that you make, uh, then you're not in the present anymore. And you, you, you recreate those mistakes and the same thing about the future. If you're obsessed with what's coming, if you don't know what's coming, if you're scared of what's coming, then you can't stay in the present and, and you live in that fear. So, you know, it's just like anything else. The more you do it, the more comfortable you get. Yeah, and I think that's the key. And I say this with planning from 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 a business or for, to the, for the job interview or for the speech. It's like we don't plan for perfection. I think a lot of times we think we do the rehearsal so we can be perfect. And the planning, just like in preparing for a flight or doing the training, I do all this planning so I can be better prepared to deal with the inevitable unforeseen. Because the inevitable yep. unforeseen is always, it's always going to, something's always going to crop up. You know, you're going to yep. trip over yep. a light, you're going to call the wrong company, whatever. Yep. And you're so right. If, you, if you're so prepared that even when you hit that blank moment, you embrace the moment for what it is, you make that eye connection with an audience member and it, something comes to you. I, I can think back to those presentations that I've had when you're telling that story is like when I've been so prepared and um, if you replayed the speech back, there may have been paragraphs I, I omitted because I took a moment or I went down a rabbit hole with an audience member that wasn't in the script. And it was such a better performance than, than what I already had. Yeah. I, I know you know, what you're w- one of the things that's interesting, uh, that, that I find is different between people who are performers, they have the performer's mindset and people who don't see themselves as performers the people who see themselves as performers, they're not married to what they did in rehearsal. Right. They are not married to the work they did previously. They care more about results. Mm-hmm. And if, if I drop a whole part of what I did in rehearsal because I find something else to do in the moment, 
and it's better. I'm really happy about that. I don't complain. I said, oh man, I spent a whole week rehearsing that. I, I'm psyched. I found something better. That's great. Right. Or if I just drop something that would have been great if I had used it, but everything else I did worked. Okay, fine. So I dropped that. I don't go, oh, I worked on that for a week. I bought, you know, I dropped it. And the audience has no idea. That's so right. you don't, oh, you know what? I'm so sorry. I, I was going <laughs> to do this thing. I forgot. I didn't. It would have been so much better if I did. You don't do that. Right. Just like you don't, when you, when you, when you thought you had 30 minutes and you turn out to have 20, you don't say, well, listen, I thought I had 30. Now I've got 20. I'll, you know, I'll do what I can for you. Right. You know? Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's this ease with messiness Yeah. that, that the creative uh, artist has, that they're okay with problems. They're okay with things oh, being okay. thrown at them that, uh, that, you know, they are, uh, they are not expecting. Yeah. And, and sometimes, and, and that's what the rehearsal process is all about. It, it doesn't, most of what you're doing in rehearsal doesn't work. Right. Just like a lot of things that you are doing in your flight simulators don't work. Like you crash a bunch of times, right? Uh, but that's part of the learning process. Fortunately, you have a simulator. You don't always have to do that in the plane, but I imagine when do you teach also flying? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Yeah, I was an instructor yeah. for a while. Yeah. Okay. So when you're teaching somebody, let's say it's, you're doing a, 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 a flight up, you know, and they're you, they have the, they, you don't call it a helm. Do you on a plane? No, yeah. uh, cockpit or the flight deck or. Okay. So they're in control of the flight deck, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. But you're sitting next to them and they make a mistake, something that would have been quite catastrophic if you hadn't been there to correct it. Yeah. That happens. I'm sure. Yep. Yeah. But they have you with them because it's rehearsal and they don't go and do a solo until you feel they're ready for a solo. And the same thing is true when you're rehearsing for any kind of high stakes situation uh, that has a performance element. You do rehearsal until it's time to perform. And then by the time you're ready to perform, you, you, you know, you go, you do it. Doesn't mean you're not nervous. Just like the first time someone solos a plane, I imagine they're pretty darn nervous. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because the messiness is what we're comfortable with because we're well prepared. Yep. So when I think about, you know, these other real life things that people do like the flying or the boating, you know, th there's nothing messy about my boat and my engine room before I go out, you know, on a long run. Uh, and I have very specific processes. I check th these specific filters in this particular order. Uh, I check the oil in each engine in this particular order. All of those things are done. So I know what I am dealing with so that if something does come up, I don't have to worry. It's one of those things. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, I, I love this stuff. I mean, I, could, I do too. I mean, it's, I, the, it's the preparation is you're right. And I think people look at aviation they look at the boating, they look at preparing for a movie or a presentation or whatever. It's that preparation isn't for the perfection. And I have those checklists so that I can, deal with the messiness and it's it's sure. the it's the embrace the embracing of the messiness i think is is what it is and it's so true even in every flight of all those thousands of flights i've had i've never had a perfect flight i've never had one and it's impossible yeah. to achieve 
but the checklists are there so I can keep the plane upright and so that I can free my mind in this gray matter to deal with the ambiguity and the, and the messiness and the stuff that isn't in the book, right? And That's it's about right. achieving the what you said earlier, kind of going back. It's not about achieving the, the well-executed plan. That's the the wrong way to look at success it's about achieving an outcome and just like if like i thought about this when you were talking if i have a flight plan with 20 uh nav points or checkpoints between here and my objective what a fool i would be if i'm come back from the flight and i show you how i hit all those 20 objectives but i still all those checkpoints but i still arrived at my objective late right Mm -hmm. yeah it's about getting the objective it's the plan is there because i need to understand approximately how long it's going to take, how much fuel I need, what the weather's like, what's the wind doing. Yep. But once I put it into action, uh, that plan is essentially useless and it's not that important. What's important is that I can still achieve the objective. And so if a thunderstorm pops up in front of me or I lose an engine, the question I should be asking is, oh my God, my plans went to hell. My question should be, can I still achieve my objective? That's exactly right. Yeah. That is a, such a wonderful way to put it. So we are focused on the objective, on the results. Look, if you know, if you, if I, if if I said to you, listen, uh, I have a particular process, and I can prove it to you that it works. It's one hundred percent. You go, yeah, yeah. I, I, I see empirically that that works. And I said, here's the process: is this, is you're going to do a handstand or a headstand for a minute, and if you do that ha- headstand for a minute, you'll be able to deliver the most brilliant speech. You'd go, okay, fine. Because you don't really care how you get there. You just want to get there. So the methodology is actually not that important. And sometimes we get too married to methodology. Right. And, and it's interesting to me because we, we attach our identity, I think, to methodology. This is the way I do it. And I don't really care. I, I really don't care. Right. And I don't think in any kind of, in a creative process, there's one way to do anything. Mm-hmm. There, there are certain uh, things, certain fields, uh, certain technical uh, endeavors where a very specific protocol uh, is the best protocol to use. But when it comes to a creative endeavor, it's art. Mm-hmm. It's not a science. So there are different methodologies. There's different processes. Uh, there's a little bit of dumb luck. You know, there's a lot of different things that go into success. So it's hard to control. And the reason that people have a hard time with it is because they don't know any of those methodologies or those protocols. And they know what outcome they want, but have no idea how to get there. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I wrote Steal the Show, because I wanted to offer a methodology that I know the most successful actors who are the best performers in the world use uh, to give speeches. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's great. And you know, I th- a lot of times we think leadership or it, it is, everything is a performance and it's, it's, and I think we uh, naively think, oh, it's about acting. It's about being inauthentic, being something that we're not. But just like you're saying, it's like, no, it's tapping, it's bringing your authentic self out to um, exploit, not exploit me the wrong word, but take advantage of the, the kind of manufactured situation that we're in right now, right? Well, exploit, I think, is a, is a fine word. Exploit is an interesting word because people often 
thing associated with something negative. Mm -hmm. It's it's not. It's a benign word. It, yeah. It, you exploit something negatively or you exploit it positively. Right. So it's just taking advantage of and, uh, and in a positive way, in a good way. And it's interesting. One of the things I talk about in the book is, is the danger that we run into when we are too true to self, That's too true to the idea of self and don't give ourselves the freedom to adopt different styles of behavior, different ways of being mm -hmm. with different people in different situations. Leadership is in large part about being a chameleon. Yeah. Now, when I say chameleon, sometimes people go, uh, but that means you're fake. And I say, yeah. If you think about a chameleon, and when a chameleon's on a green leaf, it actually turns green. When a chameleon is on a red leaf, it actually turns red. It's not pretending to turn red or green. It actually is. Right. That's what it does. So... If I'm in a situation with some other business professionals and the topic that comes up is not one I agree with, but it, but it's not something that I feel I need to address, but I, but I do anyway, and it creates some conflict within the group. How did I move forward? Right. How did that help me achieve the objective? And of course, you know, different situations require, you know, different uh, responses. If I'm in a, in a group of people that I don't know well and, and they start um, uh, using racial slurs, I will immediately speak to that because that is something that, you know, I feel would, is absolutely inappropriate. And I might say, you know what, uh, I'm not going to play a role that... Um, that goes against my values in order to fit in, that would be inauthentic. However, if politics comes up, it's just a different perspective. I don't need enough, but if I felt this compelling need to argue about it, well, maybe I just shot myself in the foot because I couldn't keep quiet. Right. And then, of course, our physicality changes in different situations with different people. The way we speak changes. So I just did a podcast before this one and it had a very different energy. The host had a very different energy. It was much bigger and it was more sort of radio and da da da. So in order to in order to meet the audience's needs for that particular podcast, because that particular audience really resonates with that particular host's style. I adjusted my style right. to fit that. Mm -hmm. And on your podcast, your style is more conversational, uh, more intimate, like you're listening in on two people sitting, uh, having a meal together. Right. Just talking about their ideas. And so then I adjust my style. But those are both authentic sure. styles for me. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, same thing physically. If I'm down at the docks with a bunch of guys who are kind of rough around the edges, you know, the way that I sit will change mm -hmm. naturally. You know, I might use a few more, Hey buddy, you know, mm -hmm. I might use a few more, um, curse words. I might use slang a little bit more. Uh, I might dentalize my D's and T's a little bit more. Now I'm not, I'm not pretending that I'm something other than I am. I'm, that's a part of me. You know, I grew up in the Bronx, but I'm not going to pretend I have an accent when I don't. I'm not going to say, 
yo, uh, you know, talk like this and like, hey, yo, <laughs> how you doing, buddy? You know, I'm not going right. to all of a sudden be something that I'm not. Right. It's, you know, it's like when a politician uses one, you know, uses a Southern accent when they're with people from the South and then a Northern accent when there were people with the North, you go, come on, that's, that's inauthentic. You're really pretending you're something other, you know, something different in those different environments, uh, which is different than, than these slight yeah. changes that occur to create a more connected uh, relationship. So when I, when I hang out with my friends from college, I went to Tulane in New Orleans. Now, if you went to Tulane or you're from New Orleans, you'd say Tulane. But if you're from the North, you'd say Tulane. If you're in the South, you'd say umbrella. Yeah. <laughs> you'd say cement. If you're from the North, you'd say umbrella or cement. Right. And when I talk to them, I find those words naturally coming back. Uh, and the style of my language changes a little bit. It comes a little more fluid you know, I'll say, where yeah. you at? What's mm -hmm. up? You know, it's like a little change, you know. So I'm not going, hey, y'all, how you doing? I'm not, well, you fix and go to dinner. I'm not like, you know. All right. So <laughs> so this is, this is uh, you know, something that's really important. It's a subtle difference. It's a subtle distinction. If I'm in a, in a library and I have a meeting with librarians and the board of the library, my physicality will be slightly different. Sure. Yeah. I might sit with my legs crossed leaning back in the chair, uh, my, my speech patterns may be a little bit different. I may be a little quieter and a little bit more reflective in my speech to make sure that the way I'm articulating my thoughts is consumed by the people in the room. But when I'm with those guys down at the dock, if I do that, they'll just run over me. Right. So... Yeah. But they're, these are all natural styles of mine. Yeah, I like the chameleon analogy because the chameleon just being a chameleon doesn't mean you're being um, shifty, shady, or inauthentic. It's quite the yeah. contrary, right? You're just yeah. you're, you're adjusting to the. It's having that situation awareness or having the the kind of the um, emotional intelligence to kind of know you know how to play the room, you know, mm -hmm. to, yeah. to adapt to the environment. Yeah. That's exactly right. And of course there are going to be people who will be inauthentic and shifty and, you know, con artists and, you know, we got to watch out for those folks. Right. Uh, but what we're talking about obviously is, is dramatically different. And I also think it's okay to have an agenda. Yeah. I, I, mean, I think there's right. nothing wrong with having an agenda. That's an objective. You know, yeah. um, this is what I'm trying to make happen. And I think if we are more comfortable with our agendas and we're more willing to be open about them, uh, then people are cool with it because they have agendas too. I agree. 100%. When we can, when we hide our agenda, that's when you know people get uncomfortable. That's when they feel like we're shapeshifters. Yep. Uh, so I always you know try to put my agenda right, front and exactly center. Where like, you here's stand, what yeah. I want to make happen. Like I I would love every person who's listening to buy a copy of Steal the Show. Right. I'm not going to say, oh, listen, I don't care if you don't buy it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> no, I care, yeah. right? I care. I that's really right. do. That's right. You know, that's, that's why I, you know, go on shows and try to do my best to deliver on my promise. Right. Well, the book is still the show from speeches to job interviews to deal closing pitches, how to guarantee a standing ovation for all the performances in your life. I think this applies to every situation that we're in, especially as leaders. I've said this on the show before in my presentations that it is about a performance. You have There's a little bit of acting involved, and um, this book is a, a great resource. I highly encourage everybody to get it. Um, as we wrap up here, kind of a fun question. I'm always curious about you know, who your he <clears throat> excuse me, heroes were or are. So if you had one night where you could um, 
had the ultimate dinner party. You could invite five people, alive or dead. Who would those people be? You. Oh, would, oh my God. Would be one of them, of course. <laughs> I mean, uh, then um, your guests, uh, all of them would be, no. Uh, so let's see. It's, this is one of those very interesting questions that for me changes very often. Sure, and it, it does for everybody, yeah. sure. It, it, the different people I, I'd, like to, uh, I'd like to spend time with. So I'd like to spend more time with David Mamet, as, we, as I mentioned earlier. Oh, yeah. uh-huh. I got to know him a little bit, but not quite as much as I would like. Um, I'd love to spend some time with Martin Scorsese. Oh, that's a good choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love to spend some time with Richard Branson because I find that his service is really quite beautiful. Like the, what he's trying to do for people all over the world yep. is really amazing. And he was also dyslexic. He is dyslexic yeah. and I am too. So I would love to be able to spend some time uh, connecting with him. Uh, and... Let's see, who else would I put on that list? Gosh, these are those kind of questions that, that, uh, you feel guilty sometimes because you might be leaving somebody. I mean, I, that's I do. I you know, there's so many people I, I feel like, and then it's always the one of those like, geez, what if I don't, gotta have, gotta think really, gotta be the right person, you know, gotta be, <laughs> right. you know, I don't want, I, this is my one chance to get all five of right. the perfect people yeah. uh, at the table. Uh, Alan Dershowitz oh, would be one of them. Alan, do you know Alan Dur- Dershowitz, the attorney? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he would be one of them. And then I think I'd love to have Pharrell at the table, the music oh, producer yeah. and, and uh, songwriter and singer. Uh, he's one of the best producers uh, in, in music. And I would love to learn more about how he works with people uh, to get the best out of them. So That's that would be interesting. For yeah, me. He's, I saw a Super Soul Sunday interview with Oprah. Very interesting. He's a deep, Deep feeler, deep thinker. So yeah, he really is, choice. isn't he? Yeah. Alan Dershowitz is interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, Alan Dershowitz, you know, I read a lot of what he writes, and uh, he's a man who's very believes in his convictions. You yeah. Know, strong, mm-hmm. strong convictions. And it's so impressive to me the way that he can make a case for something. Yeah. It really is extraordinary. He has a gift, and so much skill that is has been built on that gift that it's really quite impressive. Yeah, and even love him or hate him, I think I look at him as um, he is a man of conviction and integrity. I think those are the first things I think about when I, I think of him. Those are the first, right. first two things that come to mind. That's right. And he's he's also interesting to me because he's not just one thing. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, his view. He has views that uh, that cross political uh, aisles. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, you know, uh, he has worked. Uh, to serve uh, people who have been unjustly uh, accused of crimes. Uh, and, uh, and he also uh, expects people to behave in the best way possible. He's not giving anybody a pass. Right. But he's fighting for people who have truly been wronged. Yeah, th- that is a good choice. I would like to, I'd like to spend some time with him, you know. And uh, it, he actually, my interesting enough, my father went to high school with him. Oh, they were really? in, they were yeah. in different grades, but they were in school together. And every once in a while, my father will send him an email about an article he writes, and you know he'll 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 write him back. But uh, but we don't ha- we don't know him or have a special connection with him. My here's another one, a good one. Woody Allen oh, uh, worked for my grandfather. Oh, really? Yeah, my grandfather owned a camp, uh, a sleepaway camp for kids. And Woody Allen, before his name was Woody Allen, was a counselor. And he lasted all of two days. 
at least this is the story that is told in my family. Uh, he came, he was a counselor. Uh, they had lunch with the kids and then he left and went down to the lake and started reading. And the kids were still there. And so one of the other counselors went down and said, hey, what's going on? You get the kids. He said, well, I was done with lunch. And then he, he went home after that. <laughs> so he didn't last very long. Yeah, Dershowitz has got a great, um, he grew up in the, Brooklyn. He grew up in the Brooklyn, right? Yeah, up in there. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure he's Brooklyn, got Borough Park, yeah. Great story growing up too, yeah. So that's a good choice. Well, gosh, Michael, like I said, so honored to have finally met you and have you on the show and have this conversation. How can people learn more about you, uh, connect with you? And I'll have sure. links to all this. Michaelport.com. Michaelport.com is a great place to go because it feeds into all the different businesses we have. Uh, so I think you should go there. I think you should also buy a copy of Steal the Show because yeah. I promise it will be very helpful. And we give away bonuses when you do buy the book, which help you uh, progress uh, and they complement the book quite well. So we give away a documentary video series of a masterclass that I taught. And then you can see me coaching people live on the stage. We give away templates for storytelling and for content creation. And those accompany the book quite well. So when you pick up a copy of the book, go to stealtheshow.com, stealtheshow.com. And uh, then you just enter your order number in there and you'll get all those bonuses. And then finally, if they're podcast consumers, which I imagine they are since they're listening to this, mm -hmm. uh, they can go do a search for Steal the Show on iTunes and go ahead and subscribe to the podcast that I do there. I'll have links to all these and absolutely right. Uh, check out Michael's stuff. And again, as a personal um, consumer of Michael's products myself, I mean, long ago, early in this venture, uh, Michael's book, Book Yourself Solid, has helped me tremendously in my journey. And so I'm a big fan of your work. Again, you're one of the, the authentic and genuine ones out there. There's a lot of people out there that promise a lot of things. Um, you tell it like it is. Um, no crazy get-rich-queen scheme promises. It's just on no. how to be your authentic self, how to connect with people, how to become a, a better speaker. Um, and to me, it's, it, it translates into leadership as well. So again, thanks for coming on the show, Michael. Oh, my pleasure. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 